Good morning, Impact. We've got something very unusual that I'm going to guinea pig you guys with. You guys will be my experiment crowd. Actually, 9 o'clock was the experiment crowd. They didn't make it. It's kind of a sad, tragic thing. So let's see if we can at least have a remnant that makes it through this. Greeters, I want you to grab those cards again like you did in the first service and give everybody one card. I just want you to hold on to this. Some of you are going to look at it and go, what's so special about this? We see it every week. It's one of those little... Uh, invite cards. Well, today it is special. Today it's magical, all right, to use a little SpongeBob thing. Today it's, it's going to be a ticket, and I'm going to tell you what we're going to do with this ticket later on in the service. So everybody just gets one, not two, not ten, not zero, one. All right, time's up. Keep passing those out, and as you're passing them out, everybody stand. And you're like, we just stood for a while. Well, stand again. Don't worry, I'm not going to go all Catholic on you. Stand up, sit down, fight, fight, fight. We're not going to do all that. We're standing in honor of the reading of God's Word. If you brought your Bibles, you can follow along in Luke chapter 8. We're going to be in Luke chapter 8, finishing up and giving the other side of the parable of the sower. Let me start reading in verse 4 of Luke 8. And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, came to Jesus, he said in a parable, a story that you tell alongside a, a biblical truth. He said, a sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds came, and the, the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, or the gravel, some of your Bibles might say, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no roots, and there was no moisture. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it, and some fell onto the good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then skip down to verse 15, and it says an explanation of the part I want to focus on this week. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word of God, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and then bear fruit with patience. You can be seated. Now, if you'll indulge me for just a second, here it is in Matthew's accounts. This is one of the parables that's actually found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, not in John, but in the other three Gospels. Matthew puts that that uh, fourth group like this. He, puts it, he says, other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. He who has ears, let him hear. So here's what I get here. It seems old Dr. Luke, who wrote Luke through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, decided to leave out the 30-fold and the 60-fold. In fact, some of your Bibles might say that they produced fruit, good fruit. But it says in both Matthew and Mark that they produced specifically a hundredfold, 60-fold, 30-fold. Remember that because that's going to become very relevant later on in our time this morning. So I want to close our, our actually I want to start us out in that unusual experiment. Remember the one where 9 o'clock service crash and burn? If you survived, you guys will do better. So as SpongeBob would say, use your imagination. Can you do that? Don't pretend you don't watch SpongeBob. I know you watch it. It's for adults mostly. The humor in there. And so imagine that you are on a French Airbus. They built them. 300, and they've got some of them at uh, Charlotte Douglas Airport. And you're headed from Charlotte to London, about a 10-hour flight. The captain suddenly calls all flight attendants to the cockpit. That doesn't sound good. Um, and they sort of go, they don't sort of, they go piling in there, and he's very, very serious, and he says, listen, we've got a leak in the main gas tank that's been detected, and it's coming out fast. The way we see it, it looks like we've got about 30 minutes of fuel left. We're three hours from any kind of land. Bottom line, this plane is going down. I want you to distribute parachutes to everybody on board. Do it immediately. And the flight attendants hear this, and they're, they're just in shock. And they react all kinds of different ways. Now, the first flight attendant 
She just does not agree with the captain's approach. I mean, if we're going to get people to wear parachutes, I, in fact, I don't see anything happening. Your gauge is wrong. And, and to make matters worse, she looks in the storage areas and she sees how ugly and bulky all these parachutes are that they have. And she says, well, well she used to be a model. She goes, well, this is simply not due. They're not fashionable. Nobody's going to want to wear these things. They're big and they're bulky. So she goes through as many as she can and she just takes out all that excess stuff like parachutes and sort of gets it real thin and and she sort of wraps the straps around a little different way and goes, that's better. That's kind of designer-like. That might fly in New York or Paris or London. Since we're going to London, I think that looks good. Then she comes out of the cockpit area, the storage area, uh, quickly composes herself, smiles, and cheerfully announces, ladies and gentlemen, we've been chosen to model the new Binford 3000 quick-release umbrella parachutes just for show. Now, they'll be coming out on the new Airbus 400 in early 2015, and they're really stylish. They're really sleek. And if you will wear them, if you'll try them out just for sort of the feeling, uh, we're giving away two free round-trip tickets to anywhere on planet Earth, good for a lifetime. All you have to do is wear them for the duration of the flight. I think you'll find if you wear these things, they're actually more comfortable than not wearing them. I've worn them before. I'd rather walk around wearing these all day long. They're, like I said, you you will wear this and find yourself more comfortable than when you weren't wearing a parachute. I know it sounds crazy, but it's really true. Now, who would like to wear one? Well, a lot of hands go up because all they heard was free two tickets for life anywhere on the planet. Who wouldn't want a vacation like that? So they try them on. And a few need help because it's quite awkward. Uh, but after a few minutes, they settle in, and about 10 minutes go by, and most of the parachute wearers are fine. Some of the larger ones are going, even though this is, is a new sleek parachute, this is not very comfortable. How much more we got? Four or five hours? This is crazy. I can't even get my tray down, and I'm holding my peanuts and my ginger ale. Okay, look, I, I, I don't need two free tickets. I'm taking this. I want mine off. They start taking them off, but only a few. Most of them are still wearing them because they're not that bad, and they want the tickets. Oh, the first-class passengers won't even do it. They won't even put the thing on. It's just not a good enough deal. And to make matters worse, some people around them are beginning that didn't wear them at all, didn't take the deal. They're beginning to snicker. Like, you look stupid. And they're pointing at him. They go, I can't believe you believe that. You're not going to get anything. And just, they're beginning to snicker. So a few more go, that's out of embarrassment. I'm like, you're right. I'm not wearing this dumb thing. And they take it off. They're tired of the jokes and the inconvenience, ridicule and all them. But most of them leave it on, which hardly matters 30 minutes later because the plane begins to sputter and it goes down. And those are saying, I have my parachute. Is this thing work? It doesn't really matter because the first flight attendant has cleaned them out. They're empty. They're useless parachutes. So everybody on board dies. Everybody on board that plane dies. Now, I know some of you are thinking right now, that's a great story, Pastor Rob. I like to fly. Thanks for that story. Are you going anywhere with this? Hang with me. For as long as I've been in ministry, I've heard people present the gospel, pastors, individuals, camps, conferences, a variety of different ways. But it never fails that there's always some that present a gospel sort of like this first stewardess did. Accept Jesus and great, great things, nothing but great things are just around the corner for you. He will make your life comfortable and happy. Accept Jesus and that's when the real adventure begins. And There's some truth in that, some truth in that. You'll have more fun than you've ever imagined. Plus, to prove it, he will make you perfectly healthy, obscenely wealthy, and overall popular and prosperous because that's how he proves he loves you. Really? 
Well, I kind of wonder what the Apostle Paul was thinking then because, you know, he could have had two or three or ten times the converts if he had just used that approach, don't you think? Why didn't the Apostle Paul sort of put forth the sugarcoating part of it? Wouldn't a lot more people have come to Christ if he'd have just done that? Man, he's not a very good salesman, is he? Then I start thinking about it and go, well, I know one reason Apostle Paul might have done it. It could have been that he was shipwrecked twice, beaten five times nearly to death, dragged outside of town, and people threw rocks at his head twice, threw it so much and bloodied him so they thought he was dead, and they left him for dead. He's in a coma. They thought he was dead. Been in prison countless times, had no money, completely poor, and eventually gave his life. So maybe having experienced that, he thought it might be a little disingenuous to give the gospel out that way. Just a guess. Then there's what Paul said in Hebrews. I think, I think Paul wrote Hebrews. And he refers to believers now being sawn in two, many of them living on the run or in caves, some of them in freezing conditions and, and absolutely poor with no money at all. Now listen, this is very important. Listen, there, there's... There are many verses on the other side of this that talk about the abundant life. John 10, 10, Jesus himself says, I came that, that they might have life, have it overflowing and abundant. As a million Psalms I could have chosen. Psalm 28, 7 says, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and I am helped and my heart leaps for joy and I'll give thanks to him in song. There's a whole lot of verses on that side of it. It's a balance, but then again, I wonder why, especially in America, we try to sell it like it's not. In fact, Jesus himself said, you come to me, you must take up your cross. Anyone coming to me and putting his hand to the plow and looking back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Take up your cross daily and follow me. You enter the kingdom of God only through trials and much suffering. What is that all about if it's just health, wealth, and prosperity? And then you see God blessing some people so much, and you go, well, obviously he does do that. So what's the deal? What's the deal? It's kind of confusing. It's almost like we're trying to sell people salvation like a 401k plan. Only we only tell half the story. Put your money in here and it's not taxed at all. And you keep piling it up and if somebody doesn't want to do it, then we just include something that's not true. Well, put your 401k in, in our plan and the government will quadruple anything you put in there. Really? Sure, I think it's in here somewhere, but you don't want to read all that. And it's for retirement, but guess what? You can take it out anytime you want. And just for taking it out early, they'll double it again. Seriously, I've never heard that. I've never heard of that 401k. Well, you've got the wrong one. Sign up for this one, and it's nothing but blessing. I'll bet everybody would sign up for this one if they only knew about it. Problem is, that 401k doesn't exist. If you take out, there are advantages to 401k. Take it out early, though, you lose half of it. You're taxed. It's for retirement. It's for a purpose. So we, we take salvation, which is incredible in and of itself, and that we were lost and then we're found, and that we're away from God and separated, and he adopts us into his family. That's a good enough deal, isn't it? And then we get to go to heaven and, and spend eternity with the Lord in paradise, and, and yet we go, well, that's not good enough. I want to make this paradise. I want to change the rules. I want to sweeten the pot. I don't like any of the negative stuff. Lord, I will take salvation if nobody will ever make fun of me, and I'll never have another trial, and it'll be nothing but paradise. And he goes, well, you sin, and the world's living in rebellion, and I sent my son to rescue you, and it's on these terms, or you're lost. And if anybody presents it, in fact, Paul said, if anybody presents a different gospel, let him be accursed. And yet we preach it, we hear it preached, 
And I hear people present it to groups, this false gospel, all day long on TV and everything, and it's not in here. And it's not in here. Now, it's true. Jesus will make our burden lighter, but that's because now he's helping carry it. And we'll never be alone, but that's because he's now with us. We're saved, but we won't realize it until we are all the benefits of salvation until we're with him one day in heaven. Now, imagine the second flight attendant or a second flight attendant comes out of the cockpit area, only she takes a slightly different approach. Hey, folks, I know that planes aren't the most comfortable things to ride. We all know that. Never enough room, limited restrooms, one choice of movie. But I've heard some say that when you're wearing one of these newfangled parachutes, it doesn't seem uncomfortable anymore. When you're wearing one of these new Binford 3000 umbrella parachutes that actually all your pain of your former life will go away. In fact, all of you, I'm not even going to talk to first class, but all of you sitting in the, in the pulper section of the plane in regular class, put this on and the misery of where you're sitting will feel like first class. Really? Yeah, you put this on and you'll be transported to first class. And some are going, why don't you just transport me to first class? No, no, you, you wear this. And most hear that one. And she goes, who wants a parachute? And most hear that one and go, no, I don't think I want one. And only a handful of people, a lot of the children are going, I'll try it because they can use their imagination. So they want, I want to be more comfortable. I don't like flying on planes. I'd, I'd love to do this. So only a few, but it, it's a lot less than the first scenario that I described to you because it all seems so far-fetched. I mean, they look around and a lot of people know how it goes. Raise your hand if you've flown before. Let me see you. All right, basically everyone. So if you hear this, you're going, no, that's not how it works. And that's ridiculous. But isn't it the same when people say, come to Jesus and your miserable life will end and you'll have a perfect life? Isn't that the same thing? Well, how come I meet a lot of Christians then that are miserable? How come I meet a lot of Christians that are going through all kinds of trials and they have joy, but they're not pain-free? How come real life doesn't match up with what you're saying? Or worse, in America, we, we give this spiel and we've been indoctrinated and we just say, he'll take your misery away. And we talk to people that go, hey, listen, uh, let me tell you a little something about my life. I have season tickets to the Panthers. I have a lake house. I have a mansion and a yacht. My kids get all straight A's and I'm perfectly healthy and I love my life. So come again. Well, as I was saying, if you want your life to be less miserable, then I just told you I love my life. No, you don't, because Jesus, that doesn't work, right? What if you go to Beyonce and, and Jay-Z or whatever and go, are you tired of being unknown and unpopular? No, I, everybody, I wish I was less popular. If you're tired of no one knowing you and being a wallflower, come to Jesus. But I'm, I'm not a wallflower. Shut up, I got rest to do here. Or going to Donald Trump. Listen, you need Jesus because he'll make you wealthy. And aren't you tired of not knowing where your next meal is coming from? Aren't you tired of not knowing if you'll be able to eat? If skip... No, I'm a billionaire. Quiet, I've got a little bit more to do. If you'll quit interrupting me, talk to the hand, Donald. I have more to say here. Yeah, I don't want to hear it because you're nuts. Or are you talking to any soccer players? Anybody like soccer here? Wow, it's a football country for sure here. So I picked a bad one. All right, for now, you're soccer players. You've heard of David Beckham. Raise your hand if you've heard of him. Okay, pretty good soccer player, mostly a poser. So you got David Beckham. Ooh, the women got mad at that. 
Lionel Messi, who's probably the best soccer player, um, Ronaldo, any of that. It'd be like somebody coming to them and just saying, are you tired of nobody ever picking you for any ability? When you grew up and playing soccer, were you tired of everybody being picked and you're last? Well, if you're miserable and tired of that, come. No, no, I was never picked last. Quiet. I, do you see what I'm, you're going to force this speech down people, especially in America, who are saying, but I don't live that life. That, no, I don't want to hear. No, I don't need it. Instead of just giving them the straight gospel, which in and of itself is beautiful. Because the key to this parable is if the right kind of seed is put out there, there are reactions, the seed being the true gospel. But there's false gospels that can be put out there. So last week we talked about the first three things, hard ground, shallow ground, weeds. The fourth one is a believer. Somebody where the seed, the word of God, lands on a good heart and it, and it grows and there is fruit. So I want to focus the rest of our time on that group. If you're a Christ follower here, then you should be producing fruit. How do you know if you're a Christ follower? You should have fruit. Point to the fruit. 30-fold, 100-fold, 60-fold, at least in there. But what happens if the seed that you were presented was actually faulty? Well, then we're talking about a different parable altogether, right? Why are we trying so hard to sell a Stepford Christianity? To convince people that they're miserable and tortured without Jesus when quite a few people in America are not. And that's not what Jesus told us to do anyway. A lot of people like their life just fine. So we redouble our efforts to convince them that they're miserable without Jesus or would be happier with Jesus. But sooner or later, gang, the sun comes out. People begin to rag on them for being a Christian if they did choose to give it a try anyway or they begin to have real problems in life, or just the opposite, everything keeps going great, and they wonder, why, why Christian? where does it fit, this gospel I was sold? All these people will do, given this gospel, or the first one, is rip the parachute off their back and ride it out all the way to the plane crash. Death comes for everyone. But these will land in hell, tragically, because they were presented a bogus gospel. Their commitment was shallow because the presentation was shallow. Now, the last flight attendant, some of you are over the flight attendant thing, but this is the most important one, so stick with me for one more. She returns from the captain's cabin, white as a ghost. She can barely speak, but then she sort of snaps at it, looks at everybody, realizes how much time is left, and just shouts out, ladies and gentlemen, look up here, look at me. I'm dead serious here. There's a leak in the fuselage. It's leaking fast. The captain estimates we have 30 minutes. We do have parachutes on board, and he's going to slow this thing down. There's no way to get to land. Bottom line, this plane is crashing. Who wants a parachute? And every single hand goes up. Every single hand goes up. Interesting. Kind of a different presentation. Now, maybe there's still a few cynics. Because there always are. They say, hello, I'm looking out the window. We look fine. I don't see any fuel going by. Plane is cruising along, not even turbulence. I don't buy it. I think this is one of those silly drills. And I, for one, am not going to be on candid camera or someone going to catch me on the cell phone. I'll be one of the cool ones. So no thanks. I'm going to take a nap. But they sleep with one eye open. And they're kind of looking around nervously. And others that chose not to have a parachute, one of the real ones packed with a real parachute, Order a few more drinks, real stiff ones this time, to kind of numb the pain of what if they're wrong. 
30 minutes later, when the plane begins to sputter and the doors open, those who have parachutes jump to safety and the others are lost. Bottom line in this parable for believers, we need to make real presentations of the gospel every time. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. Just give it straight from the word of God. The truth is man chooses self and sin every day over Jesus. That's the truth. We worship things created over the creator. And left to our own, we tend to elevate ourselves eventually into God-like status. And the truth is that sin separates us from a holy God. That's the truth. But that's only half the story. This God that we stiff arm through life still calls for us with open arms. Even though we say, I don't buy it and I don't want it, he still comes after us. And, you know, I, I watch this as we were worshiping today, and I see different people worshiping different ways. I actually, now don't get all intimidated next time. Pastor Rob's watching you. He's going to, I just watch. I see some people worshiping like I am right now. I think, you know, they're, they're kind of closed off. I see some people, you know, like this. They're trying, you know, a little bit. But I saw a couple of people just like this. And you know, whenever I see that, and that's not saying they're better worshipers or anything, but you know what I thought of? I, saw, I thought of my kids when they were young, especially my son. When he was about two years old, he used to stand at the top of the stairs at our house, and he'd kind of bob back and forth. And then he'd put his hands out, and he would go, hold you, daddy, hold you, daddy. He didn't understand the grammar of the whole thing, but it was hold me. But all he ever heard us say was, you want me to hold you? Do you need me to hold you? So he put that together as hold you. Hold you, daddy. Or when he's upset or something. If he's mad when he was a little kid and I'd be like to pick him up, or he had a toy or something, he'd turn his back. He didn't want anything to do with me. But if he's crying or hurt, he'd stand up and do this, right? Or happy to see me, he would do this. Let's look at that and go on. Don't you realize or don't we realize that our heavenly father is reaching down like this when we worship? And if we want to receive anything out of it, we need to reach up like that to him because he just wants to scoop us up and envelop us in his Holy Spirit. And some of us are so closed or we're mad or we're into our own thing or we brought so much baggage we can't even hear and can't even open up our heart. And he still reaches out to us. So for you note takers, here's two truths in this, two simple, simple truths. We're in a mess, but God loves us and he wants to rescue us from the mess. That, that's about the simplest I could ever make the gospel. It all comes down to what we do with the person of Jesus Christ. If we receive him and respond to him, we're saved. If we reject him and ignore him, we crash. So this will be the last time, and then we're going to close out the sower parable. The last time that I go through the seeds from last week and the soils from last week, this time, listen like your life depends on it, because it does. The first one, it was the hard heart. That's those who hear the word and it doesn't even make a dent. They don't care. This is not for me. I'm not buying it. This is for the birds. And their words become a self-fulfilling prophecy because the birds come and snatch it away. All right? Let me put it in layman's terms. These are the people that don't put the parachute on at all. No, I don't want one. But you get two free tickets. I don't care. But it'll be more comfortable. I'm not buying it. But here's the real story. None of it. No, 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 no. No, it doesn't penetrate the heart. Then there's a second group, the shallow heart. Not the hard, but shallow. There's a difference. These people may say, Jesus is awesome. Really? Oh, he's awesome to me. That's why I put a fish on the back of my car, because I mean business. I'm serious about my life. I want people to know. Hmm. Well, 
What's that on your wrist? Nothing. No, seriously, let me see that. It's a WWJD bracelet. What's it stand for? God, get me through this. God, help me. This is persecution at the highest level. What would Jesus do? I'm suffering for you. I just asked you a question. It's just a bracelet. No big deal. Yeah, have a good day. I can't believe that, Lord. I did that for you. I did that for you, God. Did you see him ask me about that? Did you? And they go, Jesus is awesome, but that's it. And if any real persecution comes, it's off of the bracelet, off of the, I'm done. I'm done. I didn't know it was going to be uncomfortable. I didn't, I didn't know people were going to point. I didn't know they were going to laugh. I'm taking it off. These are the people that take the parachute off when it gets uncomfortable. Then there's the crowded heart. The cares of the world. How am I going to make ends meet? I don't know where money's coming. I don't know if I'm going to have a job. Who can I trust? People betray me. My family doesn't get along. My parents got divorced. I hate life. There's so much pressure. These are the people that take the parachute off when people laugh at them or there's any kind of pressure. And then there's a receptive heart. These people put the parachute on and they prove their trust in Christ and they keep it on their whole life. And they're saved. If that's you, it's not just that you could be in the first three categories and not saved, or the last one and saved. You could be in America in the last one and saved, or think you're in the last one because you received a shallow or hardened or lie gospel, and it doesn't stick. 85% of Americans will associate themselves somehow, somewhere, in some way, shape, or form with Christianity. I'm not buying it, are you? Is anybody buying that? Do we look like a country where even 50% of the country is really sold out to God? And maybe that's the key. So we'll boil it down now. The first three categories who are people that are not saved. This last one is either saved or you think you're saved. But I'm confused. I thought there was only... No, in America, in American evangelicalism with a false gospel, this, this category is bigger than the real deal. The false gospel category. So, how do you know? What now? If you feel like you're in this last one, Luke 8, 15 says, as for the good soil, there are those who are hearing the word of God, hold it fast and honest and a good heart and bear fruit with patience. You bear fruit, bottom line. Oh, I don't think I've borne that much fruit, Pastor Ron. Then that would be bad. Because as I said, if you go to Mark or Matthew, it's gonna say specifically yielding 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Now, assuming Google and Wikipedia are good places to go for accurate stuff, which is a big assumption, I went there and I found out your average seed yields eight times the seed, eightfold. So if you plant something, you can get a crop that's eight times the one seed. Well, then that means, according to this, even the lowest yield here is pretty good. If you allow the word to penetrate your heart, and you listen, and you receive it, and you repent, and you're born again, there's going to be a harvest. There's going to be some kind of abundant life. If you get your seed from the true, unaltered word of God, or it's preached from someone that's not fluffing it or adding or subtracting anything, Jesus does his part, you believe, you're saved, and there will be a harvest in your life. There will be Harvest. Good seed planted in good soil equals a good harvest every time. How's that for simplicity? Now, some of you are going, I'm not an evangelist, though. I don't know if I brought anyone to the Lord. Then listen to me carefully, because this is so important. Paul said, some plant, 
some water, some harvest, but it's the Lord that brings the growth, okay? So I'm not saying, in fact, if you ask me how many people, I heard once that you saved thousands of people in your ministry, Pastor Rob. No, actually the number's closer to zero. I've given the gospel over the years and thousands have responded, but that's up to God. I'm just throwing a net out there like he told me to do as a pastor. I'm pulling it back in. Sometimes there's a lot of fish in it. Sometimes there's not. It's not my job to save them. I can't. I'm not God, and neither can you. But it is my job to tell them. And if I'm a real believer, I will tell them. And how do I know I'm a real believer? Because I tell them. There's fruit. And specifically, this is talking about a certain kind of fruit. The good soil yielded at least 30-fold. Think of it this way. If our number one mission on this earth is to tell others about the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, then we can think of one fold as one person brought to Jesus or that we helped bring to Jesus. Think of it that way. So this minimum family member has actually won 30 people to Christ or been instrumental in it, invited them to church, done something to play into that. Now, that's going to hurt, but it's true. The vast majority of evangelicals have never witnessed or given the gospel or told anybody about Jesus their whole life. Do you know that? The vast majority, a large percentage of them, will never, ever win a person to Christ. In fact, most of them will never even try. So that matches up more with the 80%, 85%, whatever, saying we're Christian, but not having any fruit. That doesn't work. It's not an option. There's, a, there's no JV squad. When you're saved, everybody's put on varsity. And you're either the star player at 100-fold, or you're pretty good at 60, or you're right below that at 30. But everybody's on the team. Everybody plays. Everybody has results. Good seed plus good soil equals at least 30-fold. Unless it didn't take. How do you know? The key is in the very next verse. After 15, 16, look at it. It looks like he's left the parable. It looks like it has nothing to do with the parable. This is how you know, gang, so this is pretty important. So important, I've written a little song about it. And I'm going to sing it. No, I'm serious. I'm gonna sing it in just a moment. And you can help me. So, verse 16, some of you are like, back up to the help you part. I don't want to help you sing a little song you wrote, Pastor Rob. All right, verse 16. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar, puts it under a bed, puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. You want to know if you're really saved? What are you doing with your light? That's it. See how easy it is? We can resolve this so easily. And there's a little song we learn when we're growing up. Sing it with me. This little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine, this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Now, aside from wanting me to be the new worship leader, which I'm sure you're all right now going, why, why aren't you the? I'm not that good. Secondly, I've written one that doesn't appeal as much, but I think it's more accurate. So this is how we're going to sing it from now on, if we're honest. This little light of mine is something I'd rather hide. This little light divine, I'm not even sure it's mine. Light denied, light denied, light denied. You like it? I wrote that. You shouldn't like it, but it's accurate. This little light of mine, I'm not even sure it's mine. 
This little light of, of mine is something I'd, I'd much rather hide. I don't, any, I don't want anybody to know about this light of mine. Well, good news, sort of. Don't have to worry about it. You don't have it. There's no light. Well, how do you know? Because if you have the light, no one who has the light hides it. Didn't you see the key? This is written so a five-year-old can get it. No one who has a light puts it under something to hide it. You don't do that. If you have it, you turn it on. You let everybody see it, period. Nobody's really saved, has no fruit, period. It's got to be something there. Now, some of you go, man, I didn't come here to be scared or anything. Well, I, I was going to say I'm sorry, but I'm really not. If it helps you to get right with Christ, praise God, right? Well, you weren't planning on that, but I'm going to help you. This is it. We're done with the message. I have one homework assignment with you. If you have listened to this and gone, my goodness, I don't know if I'm saved. I want to shine my light. I, I think I am saved. I have a light, but I, I don't witness. I don't do anything, Pastor Rob, because you have the gift of evangelism, and I don't know how to do it. Well, do you know how to invite people to church? Do you know how to get them to a place where they hear the gospel? Are you even interested in that? I am, and I feel like I should be doing stuff. If this, as a believer, is your number one mission, what are you doing about it? I love what Kurt Warner said at the Super Bowl when he won. They're trying to get him to talk about football. He wants to talk about Jesus. And he finally stopped the lady that was being real obnoxious in the interview, and he said, look, here's the deal. I'm a Christ follower. I love Jesus. That's my whole life. Okay, I'm a Christian who happens to play football. So it doesn't matter what you do in your life. It should come second to the mission that God gave you. Hey, I'm a banker. I'm a pretty high up banker. I own Bank of America. First of all, the tithe is coming up if that's you and we could use your help. <laughs> Second of all, if that's true, guess what? And you, and you claim to be a Christ follower, then you're just a banker. And it's no more important than someone who works in the mailroom at your bank if you're a believer. Because you're a banker. I mean, you're a Christian first and a Christ follower first who happens to be a banker. You know what I am, Pastor Rob? I'm a heart surgeon. Bet you're feeling pretty small and puny right now, Pastor Rob, aren't you? No. If you're a Christ follower, then you are an ambassador of the King of Kings who happens to be a heart surgeon. So my question to you would be, what are you doing in the hospital where you work with number one mission? What are you doing in the bank you work at? What are you doing homeschooling mom? What are you doing student with your number one assignment? And listen, if the Holy Spirit right now is convicting you, you're going, I don't do a thing, then I'm going to give you a baby step, and I'm going to take it myself. And I'm kidding. The first service did it as well. They took the challenge. In fact, they think they're going to beat you with it next week. Remember your ticket? Pull them out. Hold them up. Let me see that. Let me see that card. You know, we've got a couple thousand of those. Well, are they expensive or something, Pastor Rob? You can put it down. just want to make sure you got it. Uh, why didn't you give me more than one? Look around, gang. Look around. We got some empty seats, right? We could double this crowd here. We could double both services. And then that would about fill this place. Who are we supposed to be filling it with? The lost. The lost. Our number one mission is to give the gospel. If you're not ready or you're scared or whatever, you can invite, right? So everybody's got one card, one ticket. It means nothing to you, but it could mean the world to somebody else. It tells where we meet, tells the times we meet. Next week, I'm going to go ahead and throw the net out. How's that? Next week, I will give the gospel. 
And every one of us is going to try to get one person here because we have an invite culture, not because that's really cool and that's how you grow a church and all that, because that's our mission. As I read this book, that's our mission. When you're saved, why doesn't Jesus just pluck you right out and save you right up in heaven that way, physically just take you home? No, he leaves you here, and you've heard me say this before, because you have a mission. You have a mission to accomplish. There's two things you won't do in heaven. You will no longer evangelize, and you will not be sinning. And he left you here on earth to do one of those two things. And it's not that hard to figure out which one, right? The problem is if we look at your life, does it show that you really believe which one? If we look at your life, would somebody say, well, they apparently feel like they were left to live just like the world or sin? I'd have to say. Or were you left here to tell others about Jesus? Listen, I don't care what you do for a living. I don't care if you are Donald Trump sitting out there and you're a billionaire. <clears throat> if you're a Christian, then you're a Christ follower, an ambassador of the living king. This is not your home. Heaven is ultimately, and you happen to be a billionaire. So use your position for mission number one. Next week, let's all bring someone. The gospel will go out and you'll get to see firsthand the greatest miracle of God. Jesus said, when I go, greater things than these will you do in my name. What did he mean? I don't see a lot of people walking on water. I mean, if he already walked on water. So what would be greater? Moon walking on water? What would be greater? No, he didn't mean that. He meant the greatest miracle in the world is for a dead, spiritually dead person to be made alive and adopted in my family. It's the greatest miracle. You'll see that happen after I'm gone more than it happened when I was here. Be a part of that miracle. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for this assignment. God, this privilege, this honor of teaming up with you. God, there's a lot of churches in Charlotte and the surrounding area, Lord. We're all in our own way doing church. And some take this mission more seriously than others, Father. But God, this is not something we can walk away. This is not something we can give to someone else. This isn't Billy Graham's job. This is all of us. And God, it'll be hard. Father, it'll take us out of our comfort zone, but help this church to see what can happen if we all, in a very small way, with one card, give it away and see it brought home to fruition. And we fill this place with lost people and the gospel goes out. God, we'll sit here and we'll watch a miracle. I want to be a part of that, and it's a privilege and honor to be a part of that. Give us boldness, Lord, and help us to follow through on our commitment to do this, Lord. May there be no one who puts that card away and just does nothing with it. Fill our house next week, Father, so that we may bring glory and honor to your name by growing your family. In Jesus' name we pray.